Ducks fans. Are you ready? You are listening to the Ducks and Pucks podcast with your hosts, Mike Walters and Eddie Jones. This is the number one home for Anaheim Ducks talk and analysis. Here we go. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we're starting out with the, uh, the summer series of uh, the Ducks and Pucks uh, podcast. Unfortunately, the, uh, the Ducks went down in uh, seven games. Uh, we thought we were going to be doing some Stanley Cup uh, final playoff um, shows for you guys. But uh, instead, we're going to be going back over the series here and check out uh, what happened and what went wrong in the, uh, the last couple games of the series. We're also going to talk about the lineups, the offseason, and the coaches and um, get right down to it, uh, answer some of your questions as well. Uh, we'll go back to game four. Um, Eddie, walk us through it. Uh, this one, the Ducks uh, are, were up 2-1 to one in the series and uh, ended up losing this game, and uh, the series was tied. Yeah, and as much as we know, all of you don't want to go back and uh, listen to, to the games four, five, six, and seven. I think we all just kind of want to get on to, to the draft and the offseason, but... You know, we got to go back and cover it, and uh, you know another game where the Ducks win this game. They go up three-one in the series, and you know that's a commanding lead. If you you know it's 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 not enough losing two in a row, but you know having the opportunity to have three chances at ending the series would have been huge. Uh, you know, but another game in overtime, and they, and they couldn't end it. You know they they scored those three goals um, in uh, 37 seconds. You know we we thought it was I, I you know when they the Blackhawks were up three-one. You know, this is pretty much over. They scored early goals, and, and the Ducks get right back into it. And I don't think anybody thought after when Kessler scored that they were going to score two goals right after that. But you know, and then the, the special teams kill us again. Kane gets the power play, and we're not able to close it out in overtime. You know, thanks to, to Corey Crawford in large part. But you know, our finishing was off. We outshot them 17 to five in in the first overtime, and and 21 to seven in total in overtime. And Vermette oh, gets a, a lucky rebound and puts it in and, and ties the series at two. Yeah, exactly, Eddie. I mean, this game was, uh, you know, went to overtime just uh, like game two. And the Ducks uh, in game two had the benefit of the chances in overtime. Game four, they had the benefit of the chances in overtime. And Vermint got that chance, uh, the rebound right back to himself. And uh, Anderson sprawled out, which ended up being the game winner. Uh, I really thought the Ducks had this game when they had scored those three goals in a row and took the four to three lead with you know just ten minutes to go in that third period. Eddie, I, I really believed they were going to win. Um, when Patrick Kane tied it up, I, I still thought the Ducks were going to win. And the uh, first overtime, the Ducks dominated again. Uh, just couldn't get one past Crawford, and you know that was the difference. Yeah, you know they they outshot him, they outhit him. You know the the face also a bit lacking, but in you know, one of the first games they they didn't give away more bucks than than the Blackhawks did, and you know, they had plenty of chances to end it in overtime. And that's something we talked about in the Kings series last year is you know the the lack of the ability to close out the game and and close out the series or, or take a stranglehold. And you know another game where they they could have taken a chance, you could have gone up two nothing if you won game two, or you could have gone up three one, which is even bigger if you won this game. And you know, just unable to close it out and get one past Crawford. Yeah, exactly. And the you know the series shifted back to Anaheim, went to Game Five, and uh, the Ducks came out strong in this one. Um, they they did the reverse to you know uh, to Chicago. They came out strong in the first period. They scored three goals. Uh, they dominated that first period, taking it to Chicago, and it looked like the Ducks were going to run away with this game. You know they outshot them eleven to three in the first period. 
Then uh, the dreaded second period came back that we had seen in the regular season. Uh, Chicago getting 13 shots, uh, a couple goals, uh, especially a, a really bad uh, break when they scored with you know just 25 seconds left in the second period. Um, the Ducks responded in the third, went up four to two, and you thought, okay, the Ducks had this. Um, they were still up by two with two minutes to go. And uh, some guy named uh, Taves decides to go nuts, scores two goals, and here we go into overtime again, Eddie. Um, fortunately, this time, though, Bolesky comes up with a big goal, uh, you know, flying in the air like Bobby Orr, and uh, the Ducks go up 3-2, to two and, and you thought uh, that, you know, we were going to win the series from this point on. Yeah, you know, they finally get one in, in overtime and win the game, and, you know, they got to make it tough. Uh, Anderson on that, that last goal by Taves in, in the end of the period, you know, the, the defense broke down on the first one, but... You know, any, if you're any goalie in the NHL, you've got to stop that shot, and you know, he kind of just tosses on net from the red line and gets right by him. But you know, Bolesky's able to get it out in, in overtime, and when you go up three-two in the series, everybody's thinking of last year against the Kings, and you know, we're hoping they'd be able to close it out with at least one more game guaranteed in Anaheim. But you know, obviously that wasn't the case. Yeah, I, I, I was I was there, you know, and uh, frustrated after the uh, the last goal. I remember everybody was standing up, cheering, and, and you know, hoping that the Ducks were going to win when they were up uh, four to three in the end there. And uh, when they scored that goal in the end, all I could think about was Game One against LA last year, and uh, I was just thinking, please pull this game out. You know, I, I did not want to repeat uh, loss like that because uh, this game actually it would have been more devastating to in my mind because the game against the kings the ducks gave up a goal in the final seconds to go to overtime and lose but here eddie the ducks gave up two goals in the final two minutes uh which to me would have really been a backbreaker yeah you know um and going into overtime with a bad record and overtimes in the in the first game two and four against the blackhawks i think everybody thought they were probably going to lose they were going to dominate the play uh, in overtime and end up losing i think getting to Crawford quick and getting those quick four shots and being able to capitalize on the rebound was the, the big difference. Definitely. Getting the opportunity right away. Uh, you know, Kessler leading the charge down there. He took a really good shot, uh, allowing the uh, rebound to, to kick out to uh, Bolesky, and he just buried it, you know, bar down. Uh, Crawford flying in the air, couldn't couldn't do anything to stop it. And uh, at that point, you thought the Ducks had it, and, uh, you know, the series shifted back to uh, Chicago for game six, but... Uh, unfortunately, in Game Six, Eddie, you know the Ducks. They started out slow. Um, you know uh, they were zero-zero at the end of the first period, but they got down by three quick goals in the second period, and they just could not recover in Game Six. Yeah, and, and the bad second period seemed to return, and you know the the stars showed in this game with uh, Sad Hosa and, and Kane getting the goals, and Duncan Keith grabbing uh, three assists on, on the the first three goals, and. The Ducks had a chance to get back into it with Maroon getting a power play goal two minutes after, but and Stoner grabbing uh, his first goal of the playoffs in the beginning of the third period, but you know, they, they couldn't capitalize on on some good chances in the third period, which they pretty much dominated. And you know Shaw grabs that late goal and, and grabs the empty netter and you know ties the the series at three. Yeah, and this was wasn't a surprise to some of the fans. You know, uh, many people weren't you know shocked that it wasn't going to go to a game seven and the and the way that the Ducks played. But uh, you had to think in the back of your mind uh, after losing game six to Detroit two years ago and then game six to the Kings last year that you know there was some nervousness uh, with the fans going into game seven. Um, and we talked about this. We we said if the Ducks play their game, they will win game seven and there'll be no problem. And um, it, it was, I, I was just very frustrated to see them not come out and play well in Game 7, just like Game 6. They ended up getting down early, uh, 
in game seven. And, uh, I remember sitting in the stands and people just saying, here we go again. And, uh, I think the early goal by, uh, Tabes, uh, only two minutes into the, uh, first period, uh, completely unguarded, got an easy rebound, slammed it home. And then the second goal as well, just kind of started the trickle effect. And, uh, it just went downhill in Game 7 from there, Eddie. Uh, I mean, like Game 6, the Ducks came back. They, they got within two goals. They, they fought back, but it was just too too much, uh, too early from the Hawks. Yeah, and then you know, the, the special teams really ruined it in this game. Uh, you know, the two for four on the power play for Chicago, and, and that Brent Seabrook power play goal is a backbreaker too, right after Perry grabs the goal. And, you know, they think they might have a chance to get back in it if they score a quick goal and make it four to three, but... Uh, they take a bad penalty. Seabrook gets the goal, and and at five three, you know, it's pretty much or five two, it's pretty much over. And you know, Bolesky gets the late goal, but it's not enough by then. And and when you go down four nothing, it, it, it's hard to come back from that. You don't see many teams come back from that. And you know, a lot of people comparing it to the game against LA. Uh, you know, I think in, in a way, it's it's a completely different game. The scoreline's you know eerily similar, six two against the Kings last year, and and five three this year against the Blackhawks, but. It was a different game. They started off so, like you said, they, they outshot uh, Chicago 26-16 uh, to 16 after two periods. But, you know, when, it, when a team has a 31-0-0 record after leading after two, uh, you know, that's not a team you want to give a lead to, and especially a three-goal lead going to the third period. And you know, they, they ended up grabbing those two goals. But in the end, you, you can't go down four goals against a team like that. Yeah, I, I, it was tough going down the four goals, like you said, Eddie. Uh, I think some of the fan frustration set in, too, on that fourth goal as well because uh, it was reviewed. It went in off of uh, Hosa's skate, and the refs deemed that it was a good goal. Um, I you know, was there. Uh, it was difficult to see uh, in the stands. I went home and watched it on the replay several times. Uh, you know, I've gone back and watched some of this game, not all of it. Um, and to me, there wasn't a distinct kicking motion like they talked about. But if you go back and watch the play, Hosa skates uh, towards the corner away from the net. And when he does that, he actually turns the heel of his skate and directs the puck inside the net, just inside the post. So to me, uh, it was a questionable call. And uh, I don't think it cost the Ducks the game. But I think if the call was you know, taken away, and the Ducks score those two goals, it, it might have been different. It would have been 3-2, to two, you know, in the third period. Yeah, that's a pretty borderline call, too. We've seen uh, throughout the season many of those calls where a player kind of directs the puck in, but there's no kicking motion. They, they'll sometimes call it a goal, sometimes not. And obviously in this game, it's a bigger game, and I think they should have spent a little bit more time reviewing it than they did and, you know, try and get the call right. Not to say... It was a wrong call, like you said, and that it really changed the play of the game. But uh, he obviously isn't stopping. He directs his skate to, to hit the puck, you know, intentionally trying to direct into the net. I think just in the end, the fact that he didn't actually kick the puck into the net is, is really the reason why they, they, didn't, uh, they didn't take away the goal. I agree, and I think that's why they didn't take it away either. And that's one of the rules that's driven me nuts. And I, I think you and I have talked about this on the podcast before. We've seen plays just like this where the puck comes to a Ducks player skate, and the same thing, they're breaking or turning and whatnot towards the net, and the refs have deemed it you know, not a good goal because it was directed in. So I, they got to clean this rule up. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that it cost the Ducks the game, but this is just a, a sore point for me. I, I don't like the way that the league handles these uh, to me it's 
they, they should just not allow it, period. If they're going to go back and forth and they can't make up their minds, they should just say if the puck goes in off the skate, it doesn't count, period. Because to me, there's too much discretion, Eddie, and the league hasn't figured out how to call this, uh, you know, correctly on a regular basis. Yeah, but, you know, in the end, it's it's not really the reason they lost the series. And, you know, there's plenty of reasons, uh, you know, comparisons to last year and stuff, but... I think there's a there's a couple of main reasons. I know you have a couple too, and I think one of the main reasons is in at least the the final three games against five, six, and seven is just Taves was better than Getzlaff, Kane was better than Perry, you know, Keith was better than our defenseman, and you know, every, they just played a better game, and their stars showed up uh, where when ours didn't. Yeah, I agree. I, their stars definitely came to play. Uh, the Ducks had shut down Kane and Taves in the first three games and then they started to get warm and and uh, hot in the game four and then five and they carried it on in six and seven and it's unfortunate but yeah their stars outshined our stars and that was something that i had talked about in the previews too for game six and seven is that uh, perry and getzloff needed to uh outplay kane and Taves. and unfortunately you know you saw it eddie and we called it they 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 just couldn't do it. They couldn't outplay uh, those two stars on Chicago. Yeah, and I think uh, if you go back and you look at, at the goaltenders in net too, is ever since that that game five um, where Freddie let in that bad goal against Taves, Crawford really outplayed uh, Freddie. In, you know, in almost all aspects, the games were close in score, and you know, uh, Crawford's goals against average and save percentage weren't great, but. You know, just he he made the big saves when he had to, and you know some of the the goals that uh, Freddie let in were pretty questionable too. Yeah, and that was a big sore point too with the fans uh, as far as Anderson. You know, he was dominant in the first uh, three games. He only gave up five goals. And you look at the last four games, and he gave up five goals in every game except for game five. Uh, he, you know, ended up giving up four goals in that game. Uh, so I, I really don't know what happened to Anderson. I don't have an answer. Um, I wish I did. Uh, he was He was just so on against the Jets and the Flames. Um, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know if Chicago reviewed some tape or they saw something. But uh, when they were getting the chances, they were getting rebounds and they were putting them in the back of the net, Eddie. Yeah, and you look at Brujo's record now in Game 7s. He's 1-6, and six, and ever since the loss on Twitter, he's got a lot of heat. There's a, a lot of talk saying they should fire him. And I know we talked about this on, on the podcast to start the series that – the fact that he's made it this far, I think it warrants him at least another year or two, or two to, you know, to really see if this team has what it takes to get there, and, and if he's a guy to lead them there. But, you know, do you think the the heat that he's generating is warranted, or? No, I don't. Uh, I've seen you know the fans uh, going off on uh, Boudreaux all over the social media, and, and I'm not even gonna, re- you know, obviously the fire Boudreaux's been out there, and there's been a lot of other uh, unnamed things. That have been going on, but I don't agree with that at all. Um, yeah, he's lost three game sevens uh, with the Ducks. Obviously, that you know that's frustrating. It's it's not acceptable, and, and we we hate it. But the thing is, the team hasn't shown up in games six and seven uh, in the last three years. Uh, that's the bottom line. Uh, if you look at the stats, you look at the Ducks in the last three years. You look at games one through five. The Ducks are nineteen and nine. So they're doing everything right in those first five games. You shift and look at game sixes and sevens, they're one and six in those games. 
And the only one that they won, they had to dramatically come back and beat Dallas, uh, you know, in Dallas in that game, in overtime to come back and win, you know, down three goals. So the Ducks have issues with game sixes and game sevens. And is Bruce to blame for some of it? Of course he is. But to just say it's him, I think that's an unfair statement. I think you have to look at the team as a whole. Getzloff and Perry didn't get it done. Anderson didn't get it done. The defense didn't get it done. For me, I look at the last... uh, games six and seven this series and the other series is team failures and that's the way it is you, you can't pin it on any one person i know bruce is the coach and everybody wants to you know aim at him but you got to realize we also have been the best team in the regular season and we've done better each year in the playoffs i, I get the frustration i wish we were in the cup final but we talked about this eddie if, if we got swept by chicago then, okay, maybe I would start to you know wonder. But other than that, I think Bruce should still come back for the next season and see what the Ducks do next year. And if the Ducks don't make the playoffs or they get eliminated fast in the first round, then, then we'll, you know, we'll look at it then and analyze it at that time. Yeah, and you know, it's really starting better, too, in, in these Game 7s. It, it's hard to get behind and get behind so much like they have, uh, in, especially in the last two against Chicago and, and L.A. They got behind early and... You know, after that, they kind of hung their heads, didn't show any poise, and and then Boudreaux resorts to to line shuffling. You know, for the rest of the game, trying to ma- get, get good matchups, and you know, that never really ends up happening. They they get close, score a couple goals, and but they, there just seems to be no spark, and and they end up end up losing the game in, in the last three game sevens that they've played. So it, you know, something has to change. Uh, I, I honestly can't tell you what has to change. I, I, I don't know. You see, you just kind of see a different team when, when the series is on the line in, in game sevens and in, in big games where they can move on. And we've seen that the last three times they've been there. They just don't seem to, you know, spark anything. And I know a lot of people have been criticizing Getzlaff for not showing up in game six and seven. And there's been some people even calling for him not to be captain next season, which is a little bit ridiculous. But, you know, he's the guy that's got to lead you through these games and you know he really didn't show up in in game six and seven yeah i mean he obviously he didn't i mean and at least he admitted it you know and for the people out there that are are pissed off at gets off you know he's not denying it he's not saying he didn't play well he knows that he didn't play well so you know i hate when this happens because then everybody plays the blame game and they want to go around pointing fingers at everybody and i get it we're all frustrated we're all upset we we really believe we were going to go to the Stanley Cup final, even though most of you know the national media, as we talked about, had us down and out in every single series. So it's definitely frustrating, but I wouldn't point the blame at anybody in particular. I point it at the entire team. It's a team fail in, in my mind. There's nobody that uh, you know saved the day in the last two games. I mean, there's a couple players that, that did play decent, but um, it's a team effort, and I think uh, something's got to give. They've got to figure it out. Um, you and I talked about this. Maybe they got to play the game like it's game one or game two and not put so much pressure on themselves and not think about game six and seven because it almost seems to me, Eddie, that the Ducks psych themselves out and they come out nervous and anxious. They get down either a goal or two. And, and for some reason, instead of going back to the way that they play the first five games of the series, they, they it's almost like they get shell-shocked for some reason. I, you know, I don't know what it is, but they've got to maintain – the way that they play earlier in the series. Yeah, and when you have the chance to close it out before you can get to a game seven, I think that's something 
you know, they've got to look to as well. Like we talked about in game two, going to overtime, a game they should have won and they should have closed it out, but they couldn't get the goal. And in game four, they should have closed out a game out and won that one too, uh, outplaying the Blackhawks in overtime again. And you you can't really just credit Corey Crawford there. You have to put some of the blame on the Ducks not being able to finish. And, you know, and even in uh, in game six and seven, just not showing up for those games. I, you know, they they're talking about how the Blackhawks can't withstand as many hits, and they, it looked like the Ducks were really, really the team that came out tired in game six and seven. And you know, talking about Getzlaff too, I think if you're going to criticize him for anything, you know, he led us in points in the playoffs and in the season. I think you know, there's not much you can credit, you know, you can criticize him for even with him not showing up in game six and seven. I think the only thing is, is you know, he. He shoots the puck a lot, um, second most shots in the playoffs, only behind Perry, and you know he doesn't score a lot of goals. He has such a great shot, but he only had two goals on 48 shots. I think that's the only thing he really needs to work on. Yeah, I agree, uh, Eddie, is is the shot placement. Uh, maybe trying to get in position to get some more rebounds uh, would help him out, but uh, he led the team in points, like you said, in the season and the playoffs. So for people to get... You know, on him. I mean, I, I get it. He didn't show up in the last two big games. I totally understand that. I understand the frustration. But you can't get mad at, at someone doing, you know, poorly in two games when he's played well in the other, you know, 100-plus games. I mean, you have to look at this whole year and look at the team as a whole. I and mean, you look at this Ducks team, they did so well the entire season. And in the playoffs, they did well up until these last couple games. And I think part of it was the Blackhawks team. Um, you know, they'd been there before, uh, they'd been in big games. They've won two Stanley cups before. Um, and coach Quinville's, you know, he's a really good coach too. Uh, and that's just what happened. I mean, we went up against the team and, uh, I don't, um, I think maybe something with the film that they saw, they found some spots on Anderson. They, they got to him and, uh, that was part of the problem uh, along with the defense, the team defense, uh, it just wasn't as sharp in those last three games. The guys looked a little bit slower, and uh, they just looked like they – I don't know why, but they looked like they were the ones that were a little bit worn out when it should have been the Chicago defense that was more worn out. Yeah, and, you know, I really hate to to blame it on experience, and I hate when you, you watch the game after and you watch the post game and you see the NLSL saying, well, the, the Blackhawks won this because they're experienced and they've been here before, but – you know, if you're gonna you know put that into perspective, I think it's just that the Blackhawks team and, and the team they have, you know, barring Richards and a couple other players, have been together arguably the same core group for the last five years and in, in the two cups that they won. And this is a relatively new Ducks team that they've assembled, other than Getzlaff and Perry and, and Boschman. You know, a lot of these guys are all coming together for the you know the first time. You know, in these three se- these three seasons that have proceeded, just kind of gelling together, especially the defense with you know Lindholm and Vatnin and Boschman and and all these guys working out these pairings and the pairings have changed throughout the season. I think you know, what Boudreaux has to do is just get the first line set, get the second line set, get a third line set, fourth line, and get the D pairing set and play them together for most of the season you know, for 50 games where they're on the same pairing they're they're on the same line groups and you know obviously shuffle it up if some things are, are going wrong for a couple of games but you know get the pairing set keep the pairings the same in the playoffs and you know just work these same pairings through the next few years and and you know i think they'll they'll gain more experience playing with each other and and you know next year or the year after that they'll, they'll end up getting to the cup final i agree eddie uh the big problem that the Ducks had is after the trade deadline 
they acquired all these new players and they got rid of the ones that didn't work, which we, as we talked about, Murray was amazing in doing all these things. The issue is trying to get those players to build the chemistry together and work it out. And as we saw, the first two lines did really well. Maroon was great with the twins. Um, Kessler, uh, Silverberg did really good on the second line with Bolesky, and they were fine. Um, the third and fourth lines kind of disappeared in the Chicago series and, and weren't really there. But when you're trying to mix up all these players and do all this stuff in the last couple weeks of the season, it's tough to build that chemistry. And it, it worked the first two series against uh, the Jets and against the Flames, but I thought the Ducks were a far superior team to those two teams. Chicago is a very evenly matched team. And like you said, their core group has been together for years. And that's what people forget. It's not so much the experience that they have in the playoffs, but it's the experience that they have playing together. And I think for the Ducks, you got to look at it that they have several years from here on out that the Ducks are going to be a good quality team. They're going to be back in the playoffs. And if we keep the core group together, which we should be able to do for the next couple of years, the Ducks are going to have a big chance to get back there, not just once, but a couple of times. Yeah, and uh, moving on from here, you know, we don't obviously don't get to look forward to to, to the final. And you know, I'm just before we move on to the free agents and the draft, a quick prediction for the final. I'm, I'm hoping Tampa wins. Um, I honestly can't see them winning, and I, I think Chicago is going to pull it out. But but who do you think is going to end up pulling out in the final? I agree with you. I, I wish Tampa Bay would pull this one out. Um, if Chicago wins, then then the bandwagon of you know they're the dynasty, and all this is going to go all about it. And then my uh, brother-in-law is going to be talking trash to my wife and I for the whole summer, which will not be fun. But I honestly do think the Hawks will probably win this series uh, in six games. Was what I'm thinking. Uh, I don't want them to. Uh, I, you know, I, I'd rather have Tampa Bay, but. Uh, It'll be interesting to see. You know, I'm going to catch the games as much as I can uh, and see what happens. But I, I think the Blackhawks will win this one. Unfortunately, I think that's how it's going to go. All right, and you know, we got the free agency coming up. Obviously, a couple big names uh, for us in the moving on in the free agency. Uh, we got Fleischman, who we both think is probably going to move on. He was more of a rental, and you know, the two big guys we've got are, are Boschman and Bolesky, the two UFAs, and you know, there could be a different lineup we're looking at next year. Definitely. I think that's the big question. Uh, I actually wrote about this on the, uh, the other blog uh, that if I didn't tell everybody about already, but it's um, uh, Cali Sports News, which is another site that's aimed at uh, talking about sports in Southern California and covering uh, not just the Ducks. It covers the Kings and it covers uh, baseball, football, basketball, all the other sports uh, in Southern California. So I'm, uh, I'm going to be doing some articles there. And th- this was the big issue I put in there was figuring out what to do with Boschman and Bolesky. Uh, personally, I would like to see them stay, but you know it's it's going to be up to them. I think Boschman may stay and, and not ask for too much money. You know, I, I don't know that for sure. That's just that's just what my thought process is there. Bolesky is going to be the opposite. Um, you know, he scored 30 goals this year. He had 22 in the regular season uh, in 65 games. He was out for 17 games um, being injured, and then he had eight in the uh, postseason this year, including that you know incredible streak against uh, Calgary. So Bolesky's going to definitely want more money. Um, it's I think it's going to come down to whether or not Bolesky's going to want to stay for the Ducks and, and how much it's going to come down to. Uh, you know he may he may leave and, and want more money, and 
I don't know what, you know, the Samuelis and Murray are going to work out. I, I just don't know how it pans out, Eddie. It, it's going to be an interesting summer for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's something you have to look at, too, is I think a lot of people are, are expecting Boschman to retire. And, you know, he's he's not that old yet. He, he is nearing, you know, the end of his career. But I think if they had to move to the cup final and either lost or won, I think that might have been his, his last year. But it's not like he's slowing down either. He you know, had nine points in the playoffs, had a pretty good season, almost a career season for him but you know i think uh it's if he signs a deal um you know i could see him taking less to stay here we all remember when he went to toronto and he he struggled in toronto i think he you know he likes to play here and he's making 3.5 right now i think you know i don't see him wanting much more than that i think he'll probably sign again within three to four million dollar range if not just taking another one year at three and a half uh, which wouldn't see our cap take any any different hit but yeah, obviously the big one is his Bolaski is making 1.4 right now, and I think everybody thinks he's going to make at least double that. And you know, some team out there could offer him upwards of four million next year. So I think if any any team offers him that, I don't think the Ducks would match it, especially with the fact that we have to uh, sign Silverberg, uh, who's an RFA, and and most likely sign Edom to a one or two year bumper deal as well. So. Um, I, you know, Bolesky, I think, I don't think he's back next season as much as I'd like to see him play next season. Uh, I don't think he's worth, you know, over 3 million or three and a half million. I think, you know, he's going to regress a bit. I don't think he's going to score as many goals and, you know, we, we don't really need him for the goals. It's more of a, a gritty guy who can score a goal here and there and, and get some, you know, big hits in there. But I don't think that kind of guy is worth more than, you know, three, three and a half million. Yeah, I, I, this is where I kind of disagree with you, Eddie. I mean, I, I think he is worth it. I mean, that second line with Silverberg and Kessler and Bolesky was fantastic. So the Ducks have $17 million about in cap space. So if they were able to work out a deal and keep him, you know, around that amount, um, I would be for it if it was around $3 million. But uh, if it was higher, like 4 or 5 then then I would then I would tend to agree with you. I, I think maybe the Ducks wouldn't be able to keep him. I I just really think it comes down to Bolesky and what he wants to do. I mean, he's really the one in the driver's seat, and he's going to have to figure it out. But like you said, if someone comes along and, and offers him, you know, a 4 or $5 million deal, I, I, I think he is gone. But um, I would like to see him stay. I think that second line did so well and helped the Ducks so much. Uh, it would be hard to find that chemistry on that line, Eddie. Yeah, and it's just tough, though. you got to look down the road. Obviously, Silverberg's, you know, Edom is is not really a huge signing for us. I don't see him them letting him go. Like I said, just signing him to another you know one million dollar bumper deal, which is pretty much what he's making now. And I think you got to look into 2016, where we're gonna have to make a lot of signings. Kessler's a UFA. Uh, he's only making five million. We could easily see him get bumped up to six or seven with the way the contracts are going. Uh, Paul Mary's an RFA. Uh, Anderson's an RFA. Votnin's an RFA. Sekach, Dupre, Lindholm, Raquel, uh, Gibson, they're all RFAs in, in um, 2016. So I think if you try and say, if you sign Bolesky for three, three and a half, four, five, whatever you sign him for, you know, it, that kind of restricts you to sign these guys next, you know, down the road. Anderson's only making 1.3. He's going to want a big boost in, uh, near four if he keeps playing well. Uh, who knows if Gibson's going to want more than obviously he's only making uh, seven hundred thousand right now. He's going to want more. Dupre's making under a million. Lindholm's going to want a big bump. Vatnin's uh, only making one point three. Now these are guys who are going to demand upwards of three four million dollars um, in twenty sixteen. So you got to look to the future and see is signing Bolesky for you know a one here uh, maybe more of a, a good deal. 
Yeah, I agree with you on that part. I mean, you've got so many other uh, variables, you know, not this summer, but next year in the summer. If we can get them, you know, for a few million for another season, I'd be happy with that. But you're right. If it's going to be some kind of a long-term deal for a lot of money, then the Ducks are going to be stuck uh, 2016 in the summer trying to figure out which, you know, pieces they're going to be able to keep. Because, I mean, you mentioned all those names, and, I mean, those are all quality players that the Ducks are going to have to try to figure out. So, the chances of Bolesky staying, you know, it, it is less uh, based upon the financials. I, I just think, you know, if they can work it out and, and get him to keep rolling on the second line would be beneficial. But it, it's going to be a difficult call uh, for sure, Eddie. Um, you know, as far as the moves go, do you think that there's anybody the Ducks should go look for? Like, say they, they don't get Bolesky. Is there another uh, winger out there they should go for? Or maybe a defenseman that you would like them to try to pursue? Or maybe they wait until the season starts? Yeah, you know, um, I don't think there's a lot of offensive defensemen out there and you know, a lot of older veteran guys as well. And I think defensively, I, I don't think we need to bring in another guy. Uh, we're not going to be able to move Stoner. And, and, you know, having him as an eight guy at making three three mil, upwards of $3 million is, is not something you really want to have. You know, you've got, if Boschman resigns, then you've got those seven guys I think you should just stick with for another season, see where it goes from there, and then work on moving other guys. You know, if Dupre has a bad season, you don't have to resign him. Uh, Wisniewski as well, who's uh, here for two more seasons. And you know, I think you got to stick with this decor. And like I said, just keep the, the lineups the same. Keep, you know, the pairings the same for the next few seasons and see how it works out. You know, I don't think Mike, Mike Green is worth the, the $6 million plus he's going to demand. Paul Martin's upwards of five. Uh, you don't want a guy like Gonchar Erhoff. He's not the type of defenseman that we need. And, you know, forward-wise, there's you know, Marty St. Louis there, but he doesn't really fit the system. I think if you're going to bring anybody in, you want to bring in a good third, third-line third guy. You know, uh, we were harping on Paul Mary, but kind of an upgrade on him. Maybe a, a Drew Stafford or a Michael Froelich or a, a Joel Ward, somebody like that to bring into the lineup. Yeah, I agree. I think that that might be a good spot to do the update uh, as, as a, the wing position. Maybe you're able to bring in somebody uh, during the off season. Uh, for the defense, uh, I still would like to have more of a shutdown type of you know defenseman um, that would get it done because in those last final games against uh, Taves and Kane, the Ducks couldn't get it done against those guys in the big games. And I, I think that's the one piece that's really missing uh i think maybe another winger like you said would help too um but like you said the ducks could start the season on the defensive side with the pairings they have you know we have a guy named wisniewski that didn't see a shift in the postseason and see how it goes and then if, if someone doesn't play well or there's somebody on another team that's tanking and you know they want to they want to unload like we've seen some teams unload this year maybe we uh go for a deal and make some kind of a trade for a, a more stay home defenseman towards the trade deadline. Um, that way we're not, you know, giving up too much money to, like we said, get stuck and not able to sign a, a bunch of the quality players, in, uh, you know, in the summer or a year from now. Yeah. And if you're, if you're looking to bring in a guy, I think a lot of people have been calling for a Kessler type trade for a defenseman or, or to bring somebody else in like a winger to play with uh, guys off and Perry. And I think that's just panic. You know, a lot of people are depressed that, they didn't make it to the cup final and you know they want to see a lot of big changes but i think you're not going to find that kind of shutdown defenseman at this time of the season uh, a lot of guys that were available at the deadline are still going to be available now guys like Fanoff and and bufflin and other guys that could be available you pretty much have to find it through the draft and you know the ducks have a first round pick two-thirds a fifth and a sixth this year so 
you know, if you can hit on that first round pick, maybe draft a, a big defenseman or, um, you know, maybe draft a center to look forward uh, to life after Kessler and Getzlaff. I think that's where they're going to have to find a, you know, a, a, a pretty big guy to, to hit on in, in the draft this year. Yeah, speaking of the draft, the Ducks have, you know, some quality picks this year. Do you think that Ducks go for defensemen or do you think they go for a winger? Uh, you know, we talked about upgrading at least, you know, one of each of those. What what do you think the Ducks should target in the uh, draft this uh, next time around? Um, you know, if they don't go for uh, a defenseman, I think you you got to take the best player available right now. They've got a, a lot of guys in different positions available. Obviously, uh, Theodore on defense, who's probably going to play in the AHL next year. Uh, Richie, who could make the team out of camp. Cordilli's uh, another left wing as well. Uh, Brandon Montour is a guy that uh, people are looking forward to in the AHL next year. And obviously Wagner and Nason, who are in the minors as well, are guys that could make the team. And, and you know, those are all wingers and defensemen. I think uh, if you don't get a big defenseman, I know there's a, a six foot five defenseman, uh, Brandon Carlo, who's in the draft, who's looking to go first or, or second round, could be a guy they could look to draft. Uh, but I think if, if there's a good center left, I think, you know, that's something they could look for. Uh, Getzloff is 30. Obviously, you know, he's got a, a lot of term left on his contract, and we're not looking really anywhere past him yet. Uh, but, you know, Kessler is a UFA, and, and we all think we're going to re-sign him too. But it'd be nice to, to get a couple centers in. Um, you know, now that Raquel's been promoted, there's not a lot of center depth in, in the organization. And I think, you know, drafting a, a possible number one, two center for the future is, is something they should look to do. Yeah, it would be interesting if they pull out that, like you said, uh, backfill that. We've got tons of wingers, and, you know, we've got other defensemen too. You know, uh, Manson's another one that could come up and play next season as well that did uh, well in terms of, you know, uh, shutting down the opponent. Um, he could come into the mix uh, along with Wisniewski. Yeah, obviously, he'll be in there more, and, and we can figure out the defensive side. You know, some of the questions that we've got uh, is what happens with the lineups next season and how the lines will go. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think the top line would stay together with Maroon and the Twins. If uh, Bolesky doesn't resign, I think the second line would be Cogs, Kessler, and Silverberg. And then from there, the Ducks would kind of have to try to figure out the third and fourth lines. Eddie, uh, you'd still have Raquel and Thompson as center. And with Wing, you'd have Sekach, Palmieri, and Jackman to go in there and eat him. So you'd have to figure out those players going in there, and maybe even Wagner you bring up. Uh, Wagner can play center. Wagner can also play wing. I wouldn't mind seeing him up in there as well. So I, I think that may be the first two lines. But I think the third and fourth line are going to be kind of up in the air, to, really depending on what happens uh, with Bolesky in the offseason. Yeah, and I think uh, I was talking this with a couple fans too before, and I think if Bolesky goes, Cogliano is probably the guy who makes that jump up to the second line. And I'm sure he'd work on that line at, you know, a little more speed out of that line. We've seen him play it with Kessler and Silverberg throughout the season, so that wouldn't be much of a surprise. And you know, then it depends on what they do uh, on the third line. Uh, I'm sure, like we said, Edom will probably get a bumper deal, so he'll be up there. And you know, we could see Raquel Edom Sekat start the season together. And then you've got Jackman, Thompson, Palmieri, like you said, Wagner as well, and 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 Nason. And you know, then you got to kind of work the lineup out from there. Hopefully, Raquel will take a jump forward. Uh, same with Sekach and Edom, and, and we'll need more production from that third line this year. And I think with a little bit more experience, that they should be better. But you know, other than the top two lines, uh, it, it could be really anything. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. The the third and fourth line, I think some things are going to have to be you know ironed out. Um, 
with those two lines and try to get some more secondary scoring because in the Chicago series, the secondary scoring uh, really went down. You know, it was mainly the first two lines. And then even the first two lines weren't doing as much in the, in the later games. So that's something that's going to have to be worked out. But I, I definitely agree with you. I think if Bolesky doesn't get re-signed, then Cognato goes the second line. And uh, the first two lines will probably be pretty much set. And then we just go from there. Um, but the defense uh, will work that out, too. I think the pairings, the way they've been now, have been you know quality pairings. And I, like I said, I would obviously like to see Wisniewski in there more, see how he does. Um, and, and work that out and go from there. I think the uh, some of the other issues that came up, we saw uh, on the there was a, a report that came out on the radio today that uh, you know we talked about Boudreaux and the heat he's gotten, but it looks like some of the assistant coaches uh, may be gone from the Ducks. It looks like Lauer and Yanni. Uh, there's reports that they may be booted from the team. Um, and that uh, Scotty Niedermeyer may bump up. Um, they're talking about in Lauer's position, especially uh, to work on the special teams. Eddie, what do you think uh, about these moves if they do happen? Yeah, I think uh, you don't want to panic and you don't want to, you know, throw away a lot of the coaches either. But um, I think if Lauer is the guy who's in charge of special teams, that's something we've definitely got to improve on. You know, in the season we were terrible. We in the first two series we were a lot better and then it kind of fell apart a little bit in the Chicago series. And I think special teams has been a real pl- uh, problem for the Ducks in the last few seasons and it's kind of, you know, surprised as a team with with such skill in, in offense on, on defense and, and you know, such skill in the, with the forwards and Getzloff and Perry, Kessler, you know, guys you would expect to, to score on the power play and a team you would expect to have a really good power play and it's been really lackluster for the past few seasons. So if if Scotty can jump in there and do a better job special teams, then I, I don't see why not. Yeah, I think it would give a big boost to the team. I mean, if you had Scotty Niedermeyer there on the back uh, working on the power play and the special teams, you got a guy that's won the Stanley Cup, oh, you know, four times maybe. Uh, he's definitely going to help the team. I think that would be a huge boost. Um, like I said, I, I don't think you do anything with Bruce. You leave him there for this next year. You bump up Scotty and go from there and see how the Ducks do. And I think the Ducks will dramatically improve in that situation. I, I really um, think it would help. I mean, I I don't wish anybody to get you know sent away, but like you said, the special teams have had issues this year, and they really only uh, were doing well against the, the Jets and the Flames there. They just didn't look right the whole season. Yeah, and we got a couple more questions on Twitter too. We had uh, four questions uh at Mika Awesome, uh, his question was, what does the team do from here, personal changes, and how to get over the uh, game six and seven problems? And you know, we kind of discussed it a bit. Um, you know, the team has to work on signing Bolesky and, you know, personnel changes. We just talked about how Yanni and, and Lauer might be on the chopping block and, and Niedemeyer might get in. And, you know, what what do you think? What do you, what do you think the team does from here? Uh, do you think, and, and how do they really get over the problems that they've had in game six and seven? Well, I think the first part of it is they're just going to need to take a break, Eddie. They're going to need to get away from hockey, um, not not read uh, the comments on social media, what uh, people are saying uh, about the team and all the negativity that's been out there because it's out there. And I mean, I understand the fans are frustrated. I'm frustrated. You're frustrated. You know, we're, we're disappointed. Uh, I've, I've not really slept well in the last couple of days, which is what happened when we lost to the Kings last year, too, because uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about this team and, and this city. And uh, I think that's what they need is just a break right now, um, away from everything. 
uh, go spend time with their family and their friends, uh, you know, go do something, go on vacation, do whatever they golf, other hobby that they've got, just get away from it for now, come back and regroup in the, in the camp. And they've really got to focus on starting the game strong and doing that and not, I think they put too much pressure on themselves. Uh, I really do in game sevens. And I, and I think that they do some of that in game sixes too. I think that they just got to play the way that they know how to play and having this group together, bringing them back again next season and, and trying to keep uh, the core the way it is and not mix up the lineups too much is to me going to be the key for the Ducks getting back uh, on the grind uh, come, you know, September in the preseason. Yeah, and you, you talked about camp a little bit too, and there's a couple guys who might be looking to make the lineup from camp. We had a question from uh, Operation 14. He said, do you think Nick Ritchie will make the Ducks lineup when they start the season? And I think there's a couple guys like you could add to that list too. Uh, Shea Theodore is another guy who people think might take the jump up, and uh, Brandon Montour, Nicholas Cordilli. So those are other guys that – know we that could really realistically make the jump uh do you see any of these guys making the lineup or do you think uh Boudreaux sticks with you know the core guys he has now uh i think if Bolesky doesn't get re-signed we could see one of those guys we very well could see uh richie jump up and be in you know the second or third line um maybe even possibly with the twins um that's the one that i would i would see the most especially if Bolesky doesn't return uh, you mentioned Theodore. He's another quality player that could be up there. Cardillas, too. He's another one that's um, been doing well. They could jump up in there. So I, I don't think many of them will jump up in there, but I think uh, we could see one of those players come in uh, in September and press the staff and um, be on the lineup in the beginning. Uh, you know, Wagner as well, too. I, I really like his physicality, the way he plays. Um, he may be another option, too, not at center necessarily, but he could come in at wing as well and play even more uh, come September, October. Yeah, I think, like you said, I think they on defense at least, they'd have to really wow the coaches um, with the seven guys they've got in there now. If, if Boschman resigns, uh, it'd be really hard for Theodore and Montour to, to, to make the team. And, you know, realistically, you'll see them start in the AHL and maybe get a call up from, from injury. But, you know, the, the intriguing one really is Richie. And that was the, the, what the, the question was asked is if he comes into camp and, you know, he shows that he's, uh, you know, a bigger guy. Uh, you know, how was put on some more muscle, lost some of the baby fat, and you know, just become a more well-rounded athlete. I think if if he can wild them at camp, he might get a shot on the lineup, especially if uh, Belaski doesn't get re-signed. And you know, uh, I'm sure with the way Bujo likes to rotate the lineups, he could get a shot with uh, Getzoff and Perry for sure. Yeah, it would be intriguing to see him up there. Uh, either if he went with say Kessler and Cogs, or Kessler and Silverberg, or if he went with the Twins. Uh, definitely. Uh, I remember seeing the highlights of him in the minor league stuff, and he's just been going off in some of these games, just going berserk. Uh, I know it's you know obviously not the NHL, but he's been doing really well, and uh, he's somebody that if the Ducks are going to fill a hole, he might be the one to do it with Leslie gone. Yeah, and you know, he really fits into the way that top line plays. He's he's a big guy just like Maroon is, but uh, you know a little bit more of a, a similar style to to Perry. He's a big physical guy. Uh, he's a great shot. Uh, he, you know he's got really good hands, can make a pass, and I think he'd work really well on that line. Uh, might not be ready next year, but you know eventually we'll see him hopefully uh, on that on that top line and finally fill that left wing spot that's been really empty on that top line. 
Yeah, and that's been an issue before too. We've talked about with the Ducks was the the top line left wing. You know, figuring that out is is you know even this year we saw a whole bunch of different players up on there, and I think that's another thing that we talked about is getting the top one two lines for sure, and even you know hopefully the third line set and not having to mix up uh, too much uh, during the season because you know we've got the group that. I still believe that they could have gone to the Stanley Cup final. And if it wasn't for a few posts in game two, we probably would be there. So I, I think that that's the key is, is getting a lineup set up early. Um, unless, you know, someone else impresses and jumps up and get the chemistry and the core group going and really work on the uh, special teams as we talked about and go from there. Yeah. And uh, Eddie Hernandez had a question too. Uh, Another one, going back to Game 7, he said, uh, what is with the curse with Game 7? Uh, is it real, and why do guys get, why do the guys get so out of their game? Uh, I know we discussed this, obviously, when we were uh, reviewing Game 7, and you know it has to do with a lot of things, with the, the goaltending and defense shutting down, and you know the leadership just not showing up for those last two games. But do you, do you really think there's a curse in Game 7 with Boudreaux, or is it just you know the core guys just have to be together for longer? Yeah, I don't think it's a curse. I mean, I know we lost three games and everybody's upset and it's happened three years in a row. And, and of course, people are going to, you know, bring out, uh, you know, something like a curse. Like uh, the Angels had a curse all these years when they didn't make it to the World Series and they actually put holy water on home plate at Angel Stadium. So maybe they should put holy water on center ice at, at the Duck Stadium. But no, but I'm being serious. That it's not a curse, everybody. I know it's frustrating and it's happened these last three years, but that's not what's going on. What's going on is this team is psyching itself out. Um, it, you know, the first time it happened against Detroit was whatever. That was the first time. But against the Kings and against the Blackhawks in this year, they psyched themselves out. And I really believe that. I, I think that they get so much pressure on themselves. They get wound up so tight. They go out there and they, they don't play well they were nervous last year i think they were still nervous and anxious this year and when you give up a, a goal right away in the first two minutes you could tell they they looked almost defeated right away and it's like wait a sec you guys have been able to come back all the time keep rolling and they got down two goals and then it, by then the first period a lot of people are like you know come on like we all know you can do it but they they are the ones that have to believe that they can do it and i i truly believe that they put too much pressure on themselves. I really do. And they got to go out there, play the game the way that they know how to play the game and just start out from the beginning. The very first shift, you got to go out there and just crush the other team and keep rolling. And if something bad happens, you got to keep going. And that's just the way it seemed the last two times when they, you know, they gave up early goals to the Kings, the early goals to the Hawks, and they just got down. And I think they psyched themselves out too much. And that was the difference, really, to me in these last two Game 7s, Eddie. Yeah, and, you know, you can build on that from here. And uh, just Nina asked a question, too, that we've a little bit covered on, but, uh, you know, it spun on a different way. And it's, uh, do you think the Ducks will move anyone this offseason? And who's the most likely to get moved? And, you know, we really haven't talked about if, if many guys on the Ducks would actually get traded off the team. Uh, I know we said uh, Edom is a guy that might likely go, but the fact that he's uh, up for a contract might... You know, they might trade his rights away, but you're not going to get a lot for that. And, you know, trade-wise, I don't think there's a lot of guys that, you know, that the Ducks are really looking to trade. I think they'll they'll want to keep most of the core together. 
Yeah, I think that's a tough move. I think, like, we, you know, we kind of hammered it about Boschman and Bleski, but I think as far as the other players, if there's any out there that they would move, uh, Edom and Paul Murray are kind of some of the ones that come to mind. Um, and <clears throat> the only reason being is that they just didn't do as well in the playoffs, especially down the stretch. So they could be moved. Um, but uh, I, I don't really see the Ducks making a trade in the summer. Uh, to, you know, it just doesn't seem uh, likely. I think they got to just go with what they've got now and uh, go from there. And maybe in the middle of the season towards the trade deadline, we'll have a better idea of what's going on uh, with the other teams in the league and, and where we're at. And, and then we'll make some kind of a move then. I, I just don't see the Ducks moving anybody. Um, if it was me and I had and I was going to move someone, uh, you know, Edom and Palmieri would be the, the ones that I would look to. But uh, I just don't see it being likely, Eddie. Yeah, I think you know the best thing the Ducks could do is um, they've got a first and they got two thirds. I think maybe packaging a third and and you know adding something else. And they're trying to get a second pick. I, I think trying to get a second round pick in, in such a deep draft like this is something they should look to do. Uh, you know, it depends on what you end up having to move. Uh, you could realistically see them trade their rights to to eat him if they don't think that he's gonna you know, do much more than he's done already and maybe get a second round pick from that or package him with a third and grab, uh, you know, a couple picks or a prospect in a second. You know, I don't know how much all these guys are worth to other teams, but I think if the Ducks are going to look to get anything, I think other than, you know, if they're, I don't think they should look to grab another player from a different team. I think they should be looking to grab a second round pick and, you know, grab a, a good prospect from a deep draft. I agree with you. Um, you know, I, I would like an upgrade in the defense, but that's going to cost a lot of money if they're going to try and do that in the summer, uh, which is going to be difficult. So that's something that they're going to have to wait on. So if they're going to do anything, you know, getting a higher pick in a deep draft is probably the best strategy at this time, Eddie. Yep. And uh, the one thing that I think everybody was, you know, not so much with the, the Boudreaux firing talk and, and you know, removing gets off captaincy after game seven, Twitter went a little bit nuts. And I think, you know, the main thing that people were talking about and, and getting a little bit worked up about was uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly tweeting out a smiley face uh, right after the Ducks lost. And uh, everybody went nuts. And there's a lot of negative tweets toward him. What do you think uh, that that tweet from Smith-Pelly was out? Do you think it was directed towards the Ducks? Because, you know, it's hard to say it wasn't. Right after they lose, he tweets out a smiley face. Yeah, I think it was definitely directed towards the Ducks. And it's unfortunate. Um, when he went to Montreal, I actually met him after practice and um, got a photo with him a little bit before the uh, trade deadline. Um, I even wished him, you know, well when he went to Montreal and even wished, you know, felt bad for him when uh, Montreal got eliminated because I, I really thought Montreal was going to at least go another round. So for him to do that, I just think it's completely unprofessional. Um, whether he's joking or being serious or not, I, I just I don't like that at all. Um, he has a kind of that reputation. I've heard that when he was at the Admirals, he was kind of that way, kind of um, you know standoffish, um, a little bit on the arrogant side. So it's unfortunate. You know, I would you know I, I'm not gonna say I hate him or you know wish anything negative to him, but it's it's just disappointing to see that. I just think it's uncalled for, Eddie. Yeah, you know, it. Um, I don't, you know, when Hiller left and he made the comments about the Ducks uh, fan base not being really dedicated to hockey, you know, that rubbed people the wrong way too. But it was a little bit more warranted from Hiller the way he left and he was kind of shut out from the team and uh, Gibson and Anderson were given the shot in the playoffs over him. And then Smith Pelly didn't really leave the team negatively. You know, they, they gave him a shot. Uh, they felt like it would be better to bring in a, a faster 
more uh, speedy guy like Sakac, and they, they felt like they'd be able to win off that trade. But I think everybody thinks they did win off that trade, and uh, maybe they, maybe behind the scenes there was some negativity between Bob Murray and uh, and Smith Pelly, obviously. But you know, there's something something that that went wrong with him and, and Ducks fans, and you know, maybe it's just a, a polite, you know, kind of friendly jab at the Ducks. But <laughs> I think everybody took it the wrong way. There was a lot of negative comments towards him, and you know, they may be warranted, but uh, you know, sometimes it's Twitter, and and you know, they obviously go too far. Yeah, and it's difficult too. I mean, I've seen it before too on Twitter where I've put out stuff and then I get, you know, some backlash on th- certain things and I try to put out the uh, the little smiley face, you know, uh, you know, laughing and crying when I'm trying to, you know, make a joke and that seemed to work. Um, but I didn't get that kind of feeling from this. It, it seemed to me to kind of be more spiteful. I mean, maybe maybe he was joking, but uh you know, I, I don't. I don't think so. I, I just was kind of surprised to see that, and I saw everybody going nuts. I, I didn't even respond because I'm just like, whatever. I mean, to me, um, I think giving him a reaction is is worse than not giving him a reaction. You know, and I've had people, and uh, you know, I don't advertise this a lot, but I, I get people that troll. You know, the Ducks and Pucks account, and things go on there, and some of the writers know about what happens, and I just don't respond because I don't want to give those people uh, any power over me is the way I look at it. So for him to do that, uh, maybe he was trying to get a reaction. He thought it was funny. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe he was out drinking with his buddies. I, I don't know. Or golfing. Uh, you know, I don't know what he was doing. But um, uh, I just think that the Ducks uh, did the right move in that situation. Uh, and I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, there's people that love and hate Hiller. But, uh, you know, there was some stuff that went on behind the scenes with Hiller. And not saying that his comments were, were right either. But uh, at least from Hiller, you could kind of see why he was pissed off. Uh, Smith Pellia, I never heard anything, you know, on the inside from any of the, any of the coaches or the players or anything uh, bad that went wrong. I I think maybe he's just, uh, you know, disappointed that he wasn't on the team and it was just maybe bitter. I you know I don't know I don't know what's going on uh, with what happened, but that just kind of seems maybe that's the case, Eddie. Yeah, and we also finally saw Mike Milbury apologize for telling the Blackhawks to intentionally injure Corey Perry, but I don't think it was the apology everybody was expecting. We all kind of thought um, NBC would you know, get him to deliver a little more of an apology. Were, were you happy with the apology he ended up giving? Not at all, Eddie. I think Mike Milbury's uh, apology was half-hearted at best. Uh, he was asked whether or not he would you know, permanently hurt Corey Perry, and he, and he basically just said, oh, of course not. I, I would never do that. And they just basically washed it away and moved on to other subjects. So Milbury's another one that, uh, you know, there's no love lost there, I think, between the Ducks fans and him as well. And um, it's just kind of unfortunate. You know, you want to try to be professional. You know, there's obviously uh, other players or maybe teams that you don't necessarily like and whatnot. But, you know, there's no need to make uh, negative comments like that. And, uh, you know, you may root against somebody, but... uh, that, that's okay, but you know, just just be classy about it. I mean, if you if you say, hey, they gotta knock the, knock him out and hit him hard, that's one thing. But to say something about permanently injuring somebody, that was just a little bit too far fetched, and and you saw the fans react um, accordingly to that uh, statement. Yeah, and you know, looking back at the season as a whole and the playoffs, do you think it was a, a successful season for the Ducks? And I know it was a, obviously disappointed to lose in Game Seven, but I think it's a you know a huge step forward and. They've still got a three, you know, four or five, six-year window to to win the cup, or or even more than one cup. So I I think, you know, the the future's bright, and I think we just got to look forward to next season. 
Yeah, that's that's all you can do. Uh, you got to keep it on a positive note. And I know I, sometimes people see me hammer that, uh, you know, out there on social media. But you have to look at this team and look at what they did uh, at the trade deadline. All the stuff Murray did was fantastic. Um, the way that they they stormed into the playoffs when everybody thought we were going to lose to the the Jets and and all the Ducks are going to lose to the Flames and the Hawks are going to sweep the Ducks and it went you know seven games like we said we we said you know it could have gone six you know maybe possibly seven and realistically we talked about it. the Ducks could have ended the series in five um, you know if it wasn't for a few unfortunate breaks so you have to look at the way the team has done this year and and they've improved every single year they've you know uh, been awesome in the regular season they've you know won the pacific division title three times in a row uh they were first in the western conference two of the three years and they've done well and you've got to look at the glass half full and not half empty and i i know that that's hard for the fans right now trust me i I deal with this and and struggle with it too in the last couple days but that's what you have to remember is how well that they did this season and, and be supportive of the team going forward. Uh, drop the negativity. It doesn't do anybody any good uh, to sit there and, and criticize and play the blame game. You want you want to do that, that's fine, but you're really wasting your energy. you got to look back at the season. Look how well this team did and look how well um, that they're going to be able to do in the coming years. I think that's the kind of mindset we got to have, and, and I'm, I'm glad the way the Ducks did this year. I, I'm disappointed at the end, of course. I'm not going to lie, but... Uh, Overall, the Ducks did really well this year. Yeah, and you know we'll be looking forward to the draft and, and the free agency, and obviously we'll be covering that a lot more on, on the next few podcasts leading up to the to the draft on the 26th and, and 27th of June. And you know we'll be looking to uh, to have a bunch of the writers on for a little bit of a group podcast to you know talk about how everybody thought the season went, the playoffs went, and what everybody you know thinks that what should be done. Kind of similar to this, but we're going to get a lot more perspectives from a lot of the writers as well. Yeah, exactly, and that's what everybody has to look forward to. There's going to be a lot more articles coming out in the summer. We're going to be doing our player reviews like we did last year where we grade the players. We're going to talk about more podcasts. We're going to cover everything in the summer. Uh, the website is going to get even a, a huge overhaul. It's going to look a lot better. It's going to be uh, one place where you can go and find everything instead of having all these links to all over the place. Um, there's going to be more shirts. Yes, there will be more shirts. Um, they're definitely gearing stuff uh, for the, the female fans as well because uh, there's half a fan base out there that you know needs to have better quality shirts, in my opinion. And I think a lot of the women fans get left out in the NHL. I think some of the, some of the sports do better at it, but uh, the Ducks got to do, and the other teams in the NHL as well, got to do better at that. And um, we're going to try and uh, get that going. And uh, we're still going to be rolling, Eddie. And uh, We'll be here all summer doing the podcasts. All right, and uh, thanks again till to uh, Phil Hewlett for the the uh, intro. We'll be back again, hopefully next Sunday. We're gonna try and do, uh, you know, keep back to our schedule of doing it every Sunday. Obviously, there's gonna be a couple times where, you know, we're gonna have to record on Monday like we are today, and you know, we'll be hoping to get it on Sunday. Thanks for listening.